0: To the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by lead pastor Robert Herber. For more messages and resources, head to allpeopleschurch.org or download our free All People's app. Morning. What a great day to be in church. Amen. All right. Well, if you look in your bulletin, you'll have one of these cards. This is World Mandate West. This is like a a great family reunion for us. All Peoples is more than a church. We're believing to become a movement that touches the nation of the earth. And this is what the weekend of the year that we set aside to unpack that. We bring in Our dear family members from around the world to come and inspire us for God's heart for the nations, to believe for the impossible, as well as a lot of different churches come and join us, both in the city as well as around the nation. So I want to encourage everyone to come, and if for some reason you can't afford it, pay what you can, and you can volunteer and get in that conference. So come and join us. And I'm excited today to begin a new series called Building a Healthy Life. If you know me, you know that I love musicals, and uh, that's why we have Christmas musicals. Who who was able to come to our Christmas musical? What is so awesome? Blessing so many people through the arts. I heard that a great musical was playing on in the theaters, and I always ask for a little intel before I take my family to anything, but I went and saw The Greatest Showman, and I was not expecting to be so touched by a movie about the circus. My my kids are looking down the aisle at me, going, "Dad, you always embarrass." I'm just blubbering. Oh, the circus! Oh my goodness, it's so powerful. The bearded lady, and uh, you know, (laughs) I'm so impacted by this. The story of an orphan. It was the story of P.T. Barnum. And and side caveat: I've researched his life. Unfortunately, he's not the wonderful guy that the movie makes him out to be. But the, the The movie portrays this theme of this orphan overcoming rejection and insurmountable odds, pulling together a a, a group of outcasts and then contending for racial equality and and bringing joy to society and, and I was so touched by by this theme and, and you see this theme is very personal for me in eighteen eighty four a young boy named Walter Henna, his mother had passed away. His father falls from a great height in a construction accident. He finds himself an orphan. His siblings are shipped off to another state to, to, to be provided for, but he makes the decision to stay in his locale and to work hard. And he takes a, a lowly job in a broom factory, but through faithfulness and hard work, he's promoted and eventually in a management, eventually becomes a business owner. Well, he wants to give back, so he runs for school board and starts contending and advocating for children in his town, and, and then he joins the volunteer fire department to, to protect the community, and he jumps into his First Baptist Church and becomes a, a faithful pillar member, and he gets married to, to a, a simple blue-collar woman in the town, and they have four children, and they instill their values in them, and and the oldest was named Lewis, and Lewis actually goes and and becomes the city's car dealer, and actually makes a a lot of money, but gives the majority, gives more of it away than he keeps to start a massive orphanage, and then Lewis becomes elected as the mayor of the city, and and the city really prospers. The story's so touching to me because I grew up in Lewis's home, uh, Lewis was my grandfather. Walter was my great-grandfather. And so the story of someone going from fatherless to father of a city is impacting to me, because there's no end to what God can do when someone makes healthy choices. I want to study someone in the Bible whose life is very similar to this, as I was seeking the Lord on a personal retreat, prayer retreat on the California coast, I, I kept being led back to this young man in the Bible who starts out a, a rejected shepherd and ends up being lifted into the king of Israel. His name is David. And as we unpack building a healthy life, we're going to go through the life of David. And I've just got to warn you, everything in David's life is not pretty. He uh, makes some big mistakes. And, and strangely enough, I, I find that somewhat encouraging, that you don't have to be perfect to health, have a healthy life. And you don't have to be perfect to impact the world around you for the Lord. You know, here's some things I see in David's life, though, that are the byproduct of making healthy choices and living a healthy life. First of all, he had peace. Don't we all want peace? In the midst of challenges, he's the one who wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside beside quiet waters. You know, from a healthy life come healthy children, and David ends up having a, a wise son, a prosperous son. David's the father of Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. I know that's what I'm believing for is wise children to come from my family. <clears throat> David overcame giants. He actually took down the, the greatest enemy of the Israelites. His name was Goliath. He overcame giants. He overcame fear. David had deep friendships, deep committed friendships. In fact, he's known for his David and Jonathan friendship. And I know that's the longing of every human heart. You know, David was financially prosperous. He went from being a lowly shepherd to to being a king and leading a nation into its most prosperous time. And lastly, most importantly, David had a deep friendship with Jesus. He had a deep friendship with God. And I know you wouldn't be in here this morning if you didn't want that. So we're going to go through his life and, and find the keys to having a healthy life. Because if I know one thing, it's that God is wanting to build a healthy church. And a church can only be healthy if its people are healthy. God is wanting to build people that have healthy lives. So we're going to begin in the beginning of David's life. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16. I encourage you to turn there with me. And I'd encourage you over these next weeks, this will be a longer series, to be taking a chapter of 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel a day or maybe half a chapter and diving deep in it. You'll study and get all kinds of truths that I won't even have time to unpack, and for those of you that are overachievers that really want to study this story, I want to encourage you with a book. It's called The Life of David. It's about a 700-page book by A.W. Pink. It's the most exhaustive uh, commentary on his life, but you'll find wonderful jewels that I know will encourage you. Let's start in 1 Samuel 16 this morning. You guys ready? You ready? Let's do this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Samuel is the prophet, the spiritual leader of Israel. Saul is the king currently of Israel. Since I've rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord you didn't grow up on a ranch, a heifer is a cow. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to them, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending sheep. Samuel said, We'll send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This one is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So let's unpack this beautiful story this morning to draw out the keys for us to build a healthy life in God. The first thing we see is the Lord rejected Saul. The Lord rejected Saul. Who is Saul? Saul, as you look at the beginning of 1 Samuel, he's the first king of Israel. And he is an impressive man. The Bible says that he's a head and shoulders taller than everyone else. He's probably somewhere between 6'8 and 6'11. The Bible said he had a fine appearance. He was a choice young man. His dad is known as a mighty man of valor. He comes from the, the right tribe, the right family. Like everything about this guy would make you go, wow. And yet the Lord rejected him. Why? See, Saul had a problem. He cared more about what people thought than what God thought. Can I just ask you today, who do you fear? Do you fear men or do you fear God? Saul cared what people thought. Even though Saul had it all going on externally, he was very insecure and really cared what the people thought. And so Saul, his army in 1 Samuel 15, the preceding chapter, they've just had this great victory. And yet he he keeps the plunder. He keeps all the spoils of war, the, the bad stuff, there are probably idols in there. There's, there's, there's probably inappropriate things, and Saul keeps them all for himself. And God's saying, hey, why did you keep that? I told you to destroy it. And then Saul gets anxious because he's trying to, trying to hear from God, and he does something that a king shouldn't do. Back then, a king was supposed to rule. A prophet was supposed to lead worship. But Saul says, you know, I'm king. I'm just going to do whatever I want. So Saul does a sacrifice. Why? Because the people... We're 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 making him anxious and and he cared so much about being popular and fitting in with them. So God comes and says, Saul, you've disobeyed me. And so I can't have you leading the people anymore because I can't trust you to shepherd with my heart. So he rejects Saul. So it's a sad time and, and Samuel the prophet is sent to find a new king. And here's what you see. It says this, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a, a, an interesting place. If you're with us over Christmas, I unpacked what Bethlehem was like. Bethlehem was not the, the Los Angeles, the Washington DC, the New York City. Bethlehem was Yuma. You know, Bethlehem was uh w- w- wasn't even Yuma, right? There, there, were, there were like 400 people in Bethlehem. It was poor. There was no commerce. It was just lowly people. It's like God looking over San Diego. And, and where am I going to bring my next mayor? Where am I going to bring the next governor, the next president of the United States coming out of San Diego? And he looks around the city, and he doesn't take the beautiful communities or the, the places of commerce and power and wealth. Instead, he looks and goes, you know what? I, I'm going to pick City Heights, a, a, a place where there's been the most societal problems. When we moved here, there were all kinds of, uh, uh, of deep problems going on. We, we went into Horace Mann and Crawford, and they said every student in our school, this is what the principals told us, every student in the school is below the poverty line. And at Crawford, they said there's been tremendous racial tension, and this has been a, 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 a very disturbing place. Now, by God's grace, that's changing. But, but God loves to use the obscure. God loves to use the ignoble. Can I just be honest with you for a second? We, we, if you've been with us, we were just meeting at San Diego State, and it was amazing. We were meeting in this $58 million building, and then all of a sudden we, we lose that lease, and, and then we're scrambling, and we can't find anything, and we realize we're going to have to meet here. And I'm like, oh, God, really? Like, it's so small. And it's so ignoble, Lord. It's so, you know, tiny. And, and, and I'm talking to my pastor, my, my pastor about it, and, and just complaining. And he goes, you know, um, actually, there's great biblical precedent for God to move powerfully in little places like that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, I was just preaching about God moving in a stable in Bethlehem. Like, how did I miss this? And God moving out in the desert with John the Baptist. You know, God's always teaching us lessons. And God's used even how we've had to move so many times in this church to teach us lessons. Like, we started in my house, and God was teaching us about being a family and a home. And then then we moved to Horace Mann and to Crawford, and God was teaching us about being a multi-ethnic church. Like, these are the two most diverse schools. At the time, they were written up as the most diverse schools in the whole nation. God was teaching us, we're going to be all peoples, a house of prayer and worship for all nations. And then God moved us on to San Diego State. And we're always supposed to remember that that the missions movement and revival happens among students and the the young. And so we're having our eyes on students. And then we have our Christmas services at at Helix and and the Oregon Pavilion. And I believe God's showing us, like, I'm redeeming the arts. And and I'm raising up a generation of God-centered artists instead of self-centered artists to put forth godly themes that will draw and touch hearts. And then all of a sudden, we're here. And I believe God's saying, I do big things from little places. I, I, I choose ignoble places to display my glory. So I just want to say, when you come here, let's have big faith for this little place. Let's believe God to do big things because he's in the business of doing that. You know, and it doesn't just say in Bethlehem, it says, I'm sending you to, to Jesse, and Jesse was different than Saul's family because Jesse's family background was, was sordid. It was tainted. It, Jesse, you know, Saul's family, was a, his dad was a mighty man of valor, and he was from the right tribe, and, and Jesse is from the line of Judah, and Judah made some mistakes, and there were some, like, big sexual problems there, like, not good, and then there's... Tamar, and there's Rahab prostitutes, and, and then there's, there's Ruth, and she's a Moabite, and the Israelites cared so much about their, their ethnic purity, and, and all of a sudden, it's totally tainted, and, and there's just all kinds of family strife, and problems, and incest, and, ugh, and, and can I just tell you that so many times, people say, I, I can't be healthy, because you got to see where I come from, like my family is jacked up, and God says, you know what, I can pull someone out of any place. And I can start a new family through them. And I can choose them from the the pit of despair and lift them up to be a blessing. And that's what God was doing. He he picks the family uh, of Jesse to raise up David. It's it's absolutely beautiful. And and, and for interest of time, let me skip to verse 5. It says, then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely there's the Lord's anointed standing here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Church, we've got to get this. We've got to get this. Like even the prophet of the Lord was impressed by how handsome and strong Eliab looked. Like, we do this, don't we? We size up people. They walk in. Oh, that person's this. They look like this. They're this height. They have this much hair. or not much. And and, and, and so God's going to use them. And God's saying, no, that is not what I look at. I mean, how many times do we think if this celebrity, if if this, this famous person could just get saved, it would change everything? And then sometimes they do. And it doesn't change everything. Because actually that's not how God works. I mean, I love celebrities and I want them all to get saved. But God is in the business and looking at the heart. God looks at the heart. You might not like how you look today. Guess what? You're in good company. Most everyone doesn't. But that's not what God's looking at. He's looking at your heart. Now watch this. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Now, uh, we don't see anything about Abinadab's height or his looks or Shema's outward appearance. But we can look at their name in Hebrew. And one meaning of the name Abinadab is this. It's, it's to make a vow. It's to make a vow. Can I, can I just tell you that God's not impressed with our big talk? And neither should we. We shouldn't be impressed with Christians who talk big. Well, I'm going to do this. I have this kind of vision. I'm going to go and be used by God this way. Have you heard what I did? I can... I, I, I just got this newsletter from this man who was saying, hey, I'm about to go to all these different nations. I'm going to meet with presidents. I'm going to meet with these, all these leaders. And what I knew while I was reading that is, hey, you just walked out on your wife and your kid and left them high and dry. Don't be impressed with someone's big talk. Be impressed with their character. Be impressed with their heart. Be impressed with their actions. You know, the, the name Shema, the name Shema means astonishment or astonishing. Can I just tell you, don't be impressed with someone's giftings. You know, there's preachers that can preach the paint off a wall. <laughs> right? There, there's, there's singers that they, they melt your face off when they're singing. You're like, ah, that's so good. <clears throat> I, I, I remember this young group of men, when I was a college pastor, they came into my college group, and and they moved in miracles. I mean, it was crazy what was happening. But you know, several years later, all of them had committed adultery and left their wives, and we were left putting their families back together. Don't be astonished by someone's gifting. Focus on the heart. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. Do you know that your lack of character will destroy what your anointing can build? Do you know that your lack of character can completely erase all that your giftings create? God looks at the heart. Verse 11, so we ask Jesse, this is Samuel asking Jesse, the father, are these all the sons you have? This passage makes me so angry, to be honest with you. They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Now, I hope that none of you have ever experienced something like this in your family. But after 20 years of ministry, I know that most people's greatest pain comes from their family of origin. Let me just paint the scenario for you. The most known spiritual leader in the whole nation has shown up in your little town and is actually coming to your house. And your dad doesn't invite you. Like Francis Chan just showed up. No, no, Pope Francis, the Pope shows up at your house and your dad doesn't invite you. Like it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to your family and your dad says, hey, I want you to stay out in the yard and take care of the dogs. Like that that would be the equivalent of this, right? We, We read about a shepherd and we're like, ooh, shepherds. No, that was a dirty, stinky, lowly job. So the greatest moment of this family's history happens and the father keeps the little son out in the yard with the sheep. Can you imagine that kind of rejection? Can you imagine that kind of pain? Some of you can. Some of you can totally relate to this story. You know, D- David is totally rejected by, by his family. He, he actually says in Psalm 69,8, 8, I'm a stranger to my brother's. Look at what he says in Psalm 2710. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. God will take me in. You know, people wonder why. And as you study his life more and more, you actually see this interesting psalm in Psalm 51 where David makes this statement. He says this, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin Did my mother conceive me? Many scholars believe that David actually came from an illegit he was an illegitimate child, from an inappropriate relationship. And that's why that when the spiritual leader comes in, the father keeps him out. That's why the brothers treated him like strangers. That's why he felt Forsaken. I'm not sure if that's the case, but something was going on. And let me just tell you, you might feel like you can't have a healthy life because of the family you came from. Or you might feel like, hey, I can't have a healthy life because even my birth came out of unhealth. Even my birth came out of sin. Can I just tell you that God can rewrite any story? That God can change any circumstance. And God loves to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so that's what he's doing here. The world saw David from the wrong family. The world saw David as uninvited. The world saw him as the youngest and the least significant. The world saw him with the worst job. But God saw his heart. God saw his heart. I talked about the name Abinadab. I talked about the name Shema. What does David's name mean? Well, David's name... In Hebrew, means beloved. David's name means beloved. I want to tell you that his father and mother forsake him. He said, God will take me in. I just want to say today, stop being angry at God. Stop accusing God and instead let your pain drive you into his presence. I believe that it was actually what David lost and what he suffered and what he didn't have that made him so desperate that he was the one who clung to God and he became God's beloved friend. Can I just tell you that your pain can be your springboard into his presence? Like the things you don't have can give you the gift that few people have, which is best friendship with the Lord because you feel your need and the rest of the world is smugly satisfied. Uh, Are you hearing me? Like that's, why it's, that's why the scripture says it's, it's harder for a rich man to inherit the kingdom than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Not because it's wrong to be rich. It's because we have so many things that fill our lives that we don't feel our need. David felt an excruciating need because he's rejected by his dad. Because he has sh- a, a shadow of inappropriate birth circumstances because his brothers don't like him because he's stuck with sheep. And so he's like, I I need something. And he met with God. Look at this cry in Psalm 27. Look at this cry. How many people can actually say this? Psalm 27, it's so powerful. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his holy temple. I I think it was what David suffered and his lack that drove him to the presence of God, and he was so enamored and filled up and enraptured by God that he said, there's nothing that compares. I just want to be a one thing person because I've tasted and seen that God is good, and I just want more and more and more. That is good. So watch this. Verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit came powerfully upon David. So Samuel anoints him. Samuel found him. Can I just tell you that, that God can find a faithful person? Like the only thing we see that David did is it said he was out tending sheep. Like David was faithful with his bummer job. Can I just encourage some people today? You might have a bummer job. You might have a bummer situation you're in right now. And, And so people move from place to place, and they move from job to job, and they move from friend to friend, and they move from church to church, and they even move from marriage to marriage. Can I tell you that if you're faithful, God will find you. Like, that's what God is looking for, is faithful people. And so David, praise God, he didn't go, man, this is a bummer. All my brothers, they get to hang in the house with prophets, and I just get sent to the sheep. And so I'm out of here, peace. And he goes off. No, he stayed and was faithful. And so when the prophet came, he was there. Can I tell you, God can find you anywhere. God can find you anywhere while you're cultivating faithfulness. And so what does the prophet come and do? The prophet comes and anoints him as king and he became king that day and he banished evil Saul to the dungeon and he had millions of dollars, right? Wrong. Wrong. Ha ha, I got gotcha. you. <coughs> no, he anoints him and he didn't become king for a couple of decades. And there's all kinds of worldly issues but you know what happened? The power of the Holy Spirit came on him. The power of of the Holy Spirit. Did you see when it said this? It said send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. Verse 12. So we sent for him and had him brought in and he was glowing with health. I believe God wants you to glow with health. <clears throat> Women, you walk in some 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 ladies like, "Wow, you put some new some new makeup on? You are glowing." You say, "No, I put the Holy Spirit on this morning." <laughs> You men walk in, they're like, man, you put some aftershave? No, I'll put the Holy Spirit shave on me, right? And I'm glowing. You know, there's no greater evangelism tool than to glow. <laughs> hey, what is that? Well, why are you glowing? I believe God wants a glowing church. People glowing with health. And can I tell you, it's not from the family you came from. It's not from the events around your birth. It's not from the job you have. It's not from your birth order. It's not from the town you're from. It's from the Holy Spirit being on you. The Holy Spirit makes us glow. The Bible says, arise and shine for your light has come and nations will stream to you. He wants you to glow. I just want to tell you, my life became healthy when the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out on me. You know, before before then, I was so up and down emotionally. Like, I, was, I would have these highs, and then I would have these lows. And one day, I, I didn't even know what I was seeking, but the Holy Spirit just poured out on me. Like, I felt the Holy Spirit tangibly from head to toe. And he put his presence on me to where God went from being just over there somewhere to God came near. And I could sense this tangible presence. And if you've experienced it, you can't get enough. And if you haven't, pursue him until you get it because there's nothing like it because in his presence is fullness of joy. And I started feeling his presence, and, and my highs and lows started evening out because he was always accessible to me. And I went from, from, from just like reading stories about him to hearing his voice because the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and he wants to speak to you, right? And, and I was even given this mysterious language. I didn't even believe in it. I wasn't looking for it, and all of a sudden I'm speaking in this other language, and I'm like, "Wow!" Ah! And I covered my mouth, but then I started finding, oh, that's actually in the Bible. And I started praying that way. And my insides were built up, even in challenging times. And when I didn't know what to pray, I could pray in my heavenly language. And so I'm not apologetic. I'm like, this is awesome. And I had shared the gospel with people. I had shared it with a lot of people. And no one got saved. And the day I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, four people gave their lives to Jesus. And it's never stopped. Why? Because it's not about wise and persuasive words, the Bible says, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And then people started getting healed. I had prayed for all kinds of people, but but then when I prayed for people, people started getting healed. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that heals people. Everything changed. And no, my life hasn't been perfect. And no, I, I still go through challenges, but He is with me. And He is on me. And that's the The first foundation to living a healthy life is ask the Holy Spirit to just drench you from head to toe and then he'll make you glow. And that rhymed. That's all I got. Why don't we stand up?